welcome to Unbroken. I'm Alexandra Amor. I'm an author, a coach, and a lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside-out nature of life and the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including letting go of unwanted habits. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary Freedom From Overeating and Other Habits video series, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. And now, here's the show. Well, welcome, Christian McNeil, to Unbroken. It's lovely to see you. Uh, well, it's lovely to see you too, Alexandra. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm, I'm delighted to be here, honoured to be here. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, you're going to be my first guest, actually. So oh, Even more, uh, <laughs> even more exciting. I'm thrilled to have you here. So why don't you tell us, yeah, anything about yourself that you'd like to share, your background, and um, maybe when you came upon the three principles? Sure, thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so um, my... On the one hand, I have a I have a background, a career in in law, and I was a lawyer for for a long time. I um um and unbeknownst to me, at the same time as I was training to become a lawyer, I was working up an alcohol addiction, and um I did not know that I was not aware of that until it became a real crisis in my mid to late twenties, and at that point, I had um. Um, yeah, a rock bottom kind of experience and I'm followed immediately by a moment of clarity and I got sober and it was a completely life-changing shift. And although I had a lot of help with, um, from 12, the 12-step movement in getting sober, the, the actual moment of clarity occurred, I mean, more or less in a gutter in an Edinburgh, in an Edinburgh city centre on a, a Saturday night. And, you know, it's almost everything I or talk about now is, is kind of informed by hindsight you know I see things differently or I understand what was going on in a way that I didn't at the time I mean I didn't know that my life was going to change in that moment but it did and the thing that happened then was what had previously been a daily compulsion to drink I mean I was able to sort of function but I just had this daily compulsion to drink no matter what I resolved in the morning um to you know about being healthy and sober that day it never never worked out that way and that compulsion disappeared in that moment um and I you know got into that whole sort of 12 step thing and and working a program and and having a very different kind of life and and that was really um you know that that was a great thing it was a you know it was a wonderful thing but it was also an um I think it was very countercultural here in Scotland I'm, I live I live now in Glasgow but I was living in Edinburgh at that point and Scotland is a very boozy place you know everything is lubricated with alcohol you know apart from <laughs> apart from some breakfast meetings perhaps and <laughs> um you know and even more so then so you know I was in this different world and it became a sort of I wasn't particularly secretive with it, but it became a bit of a secret side gig. You know, you, it certainly wasn't what you led with. <laughs> and um, so I had my career on the one hand and then my secret side gig of recovery on the other. Mm. And I, um, I you know, almost just spontaneously, a lot of 
my kind of latent creativity, I think, woke up at that time. You know, and I'd, I'd always had this other interest in, you know, I'd been good at art at school and I'd always been good at making things and I enjoyed that, you know, and, and, and I really kind of, that it was like that just mushroomed and I got into things like stained glass at that point. <laughs> um, but I was still, sorry, excuse me. Sure. Um, but I was, um, I was kind of enjoying the process of being sober, but I was still struggling a bit. And I think as I see it now, I was still kind of looking for answers outside myself, just not drink. Um, you know, so relationships became a bit compulsive and, and unhappier, frankly, than they'd been before. Um, you know, I think there was too much in riding on it in my mind. Um, there was a period when my smoking went through the roof. I, I quit that after a year. But, I, you know, I just, you know, I, there was this, um, I mean, it didn't even occur to me that this was a thing of looking outside yourself. I had some issues with overeating and bulimia and being out of control around food and, um, you know, just various various things like that. So alongside the work, the secret side gig, that new things came in as I tried to um, medicate my mood, you know, to find ways to feel better all the time. I, was, so I had this idea that it was about, you know, a sort of linear progression to being happier, being more spiritual perhaps, and, which was also a, a challenge for me because I didn't quite know how to place myself there. I, I certainly didn't have any kind of what you might call a conventional view of a god or anything like that. But I was open. I was open to it. And the 12-step program is about trying to find a, a spiritual power, a higher power that you can rely on. But it's not prescriptive. Anyway, I was, you know, so I began, you know, doing end, you know, meditation courses, um, some of which I found horrendous. I just couldn't get it. Um you know, all, personal development things, um, forum. I mean, this, you know, every few months there was something new and I was, it was on this sort of quest to be kind of feeling good all the time. And it was like the more I was aiming for that, the more I was failing as I saw it. And um, other aspects of my life were just kind of going along. Um, and, I, you know, I met someone and we got together and we had, two children and my we're now grown up my wonderful two adult children and um, and then that relationship fell apart and it was devastating for me because I'd kind of been I you know I had a belief that you know now that this painful chaotic period of my life was behind me that things should begin to fall into place and you know, my cherished dream was to have a happy family, you know, the, the, to, to to have a sort of happy home that was different from my own upbringing and, um, you know, where my kids would thrive and all that. And then to, for this to fall apart was just catastrophic. And whatever faith I had, I think, in, you know, in life, in the system and the universe was dashed in that because I felt like, you know, this is this is the payoff for living a sober life or living a good life, if you um, if you like. And then, you know, it, it hadn't worked out and, you know, where where did I put myself with that? And then I began to have, this is before I encountered what we know as the three principles, but, but I began to have spontaneous insights um, for myself. Um, and, and again, it was after a period of significant emotional pain and confusion. 
And the first of those really that I remember was one day uh, um, in a garage, a parking garage. Um, I was, um, I just thought, if you can have any quality of life, you've got to start listening to yourself. And there isn't anything particularly magical about those words, I think, but I, I knew that there was something deeper in, in this. It wasn't about, it was, this wasn't a, a, a prompt to be more egotistical, if you like, or, you know, but there was something about listening. You know, I knew that it meant listening deeply and, and I knew that it was pointed to something other than kind of following the 12 steps. Not, not that there's anything wrong with the 12 steps per se, but it, what I realised now is that until that point I've been kind of running everything through a filter of is it sober is it right that you know am I living right kind of thing and it was like that forget that just trust yourself trust your own inner voice um and um you know that 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 was you know a huge one really for me and 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 the, you, you know the, the rather less to, sort of massive insights and realizations that that came along and, and were, were helpful and I now see they're part of that process of things dissolving and falling away you know so instead of having a rule book to live like we can forget the rule but you'll know what to do moment to moment and if if for whatever reason you get it wrong you'll deal with it you know you'll make amends you'll you'll put it right or whatever and um, I so so there was a sense of life opening up a bit and um, new hope coming in and um, I I trained in yet another modality around that time um, which was I found the best thing so far for me um, and that was NLP and I did you know several trainings at different levels and then something came along and an NLP trainer was offering. A kind of um, practice, you know, how to grow your practice with integrity. I think that's what the course was called. And I thought, well, that's excellent because once my children are grown up, I can leave law and, um, you know, and, and build up an NLP practice. And so that was my idea. Anyway, I went on this course, but it turned out it was all about something called the three principles. Mm. And I had stumbled across that once or twice previously through the works of Richard Carlson and Joe Bailey, but I hadn't really, really got it in the way that I was about to. And this was a weekend course, which just changed my life. It really changed my life. It was the missing link of everything. And my first insight, you know, having stumbled across the principles and, and informed by that um, was coincidentally, and given the name of your series, was that I'm not broken. Mm. Because I realised as I had that insight that I'd been operating on the basis that I was indeed broken, that my alcoholism was a sign of that and my job was to work as hard as I could on my secret side gig to unbreak myself or to knit myself back together again and suddenly the penny dropped you know it's this is just nonsense I was never broken now that's not denial of the chaos of alcoholic drinking and in my mind mostly people who have had that um you know, you, you can't, if you've had that loss of control around drinking, what I've observed is most people never get that back. So, you know, sobriety is 
fine by me. You know, that's I'm okay with that. And that makes a lot of sense to me. But that's, a, you know, that's a bit like being allergic to strawberries. It doesn't mean you're broken. It just means you've got that little adjustment to make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And kind of from there, my life changed rapidly. And that's now 12 years ago. Uh, 12 years ago, almost to the day actually oh no way! So I was wow. on that weekend yeah 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 oh that's so interesting and so I'm just curious did you bump into Joe Bailey's work um in the 12-step space or how did that come about yeah so I got sober in 1988 and around 1990 I stumbled across his book the serenity principle which I still would recommend as an excellent book mm-hmm. on you know for people in recovery and it I'm sure also it helped me I remember a friend of mine saying to me another guy in recovery saying I've noticed Christian that you never really beat up on yourself and and I think you, you know there was something and I'm sure that that was to the extent that that was true it was because I was influenced by Joe's work you know that there was something about the neutrality of being that addiction is a a search for wholeness if you like or mm. um um completeness in the wrong but looking in the wrong direction but it's that the, there's a positive motivation behind it and in my I mean I use words like positive motivation as if I set out with a plan I didn't it it kind mm. of you know it, it was all happening invisibly and then all of a sudden I find myself in this colossal mess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, No, that's so true. We're always trying to take care of ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if it looks like it's behavior that's maybe self-destructive or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Okay, interesting. And so, um, so so your sobriety and your interest in addiction obviously dovetails with the three principles yeah and then um so how did it come about that you wanted to write a book with uh your co-author barbara smith about addiction and the principles (laughs) well yeah so the as you say the the, there was this dovetailing and it really you know sit Sid Banks, the founder of this work wrote, wrote a book called the missing link but it really was like that for me it suddenly it all fell into place. I was no longer searching. I was no longer signing up for another course to try and find the answer for the bit that was missing. Mm-hmm. And I would say, and and I knew, I knew that it, you know that it was helpful in the field of recovery. I just knew that. And of course, many of the speakers I heard early on, the t- teachers and trainers, were people in recovery themselves or people who worked with um, addicts and alcoholics, and um, so. For the first few years, I well, initially I was still working as a lawyer, and then I'd say life just had this you know colossal shift, and and um, within two or three years, I had transitioned and was now working in this field, um, and I wasn't particularly focusing on addiction. I was a bit, but not, but not. Um, I wasn't in sort of specialising, but so, so someone else was putting on some webinars about addiction and and I didn't actually necessarily agree with everything that was being said because I think sometimes there's a especially if you haven't had the problem there's a kind of theoretical um message that's shared like you know that yeah for example that people 
people are, are alcoholics because they're not happy and that's not nest it's just not that simple you know it's mm-hmm. really not that simple like, you know and, and also i would say there are plenty of times that i was happy when i was drinking it was you know that and i i I'm not saying that I have the ultimate bottom line, but there was a kind of message in the, the three principles where that made me uneasy. And it was almost almost if you have a deep enough insight into the principles, you'll be able to drink in safety. And that was like a real <laughs> that's a real warning bell for me, I think. And and I also saw people, you know, for I mean, on one occasion somebody put on a conference about addiction and mental health she was an alcoholic but didn't you know she didn't want to stop drinking she didn't want to go to a you know she you know, you know and and it ended up she was drunk at the, oh, the no. conference and couldn't attend and then everyone was lying about what was happening to her saying she's not well and things like that and I was thinking you know this is nonsense so I I kind of hadn't although it had acted as a completion a, you know a gestalt movie a, you know that dovetailing in my own life I was kind of skeptical about what some people were saying and it didn't seem to be borne out it wasn't as if they were saying this and people were, were having a you know a complete shift and you know we're now able to <laughs> drink um you, you know without without consequence if they had the an issue but gradually that um, you know, I became sort of clearer in my own mind, and and I was, I think, I was a guest on an um, an alcohol an alcoholism um, webinar, and and so was Barbara, and I could tell she was speaking. You know, I, you know, she she knew what she was talking about. There's none of this bullshit or pink paint over everything that in what she was saying. So I reached out to her, and I think she'd had a similar sense about me, and um, you know that we, you know, you know that we. There was some level of common sense rather than wishful thinking and experience that was valuable. Um, so Barbara Sarah Smith, the co-author of Mavic and I, we, we were both thinking about writing something, and I don't know which of us suggested, but um, one of us did and said, "Why don't we write it together?" And mm-hmm. it ended up being a most, you know, phenomenal experience, as you know, because you helped us with the publishing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, we wrote it in about a month, and we were in wow. separate continents. We we put a title and a framework together where we spent a week together in the Azores, midway between America and the UK. And then when we went home, we kind of, we sorted out, I'll do this chapter, you do that chapter. You know, I mean, we had, you know, we had um, permission to edit each other's and all that, but it was a great experience, a really great experience. So we published that almost, the, I think, a one week before lockdown, something oh. like that, you know, it was really... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so we um, um, yeah, we had we we had to cancel our launch parties and all of that. We still haven't really done anything like that. But, so, but that's that's how it came about, and we've had some very nice feedback about our treatment of the principles. You know how we talk about that. It, it and I and and I like to think that people who are not addicts would also might also find some find that helpful. You know that they find the way we've expressed it simple mm-hmm. and clear. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely find that. I reread it the other day in preparation for this interview. And uh, yeah, it's just so clear and kind of grounded and down to earth. And I love that about it. And we should say, so the title is Addiction, One Cause, One Solution. Thank you. Yes, we should say that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I'll put links. uh, I'll put links in the show notes to to the book. So let's dive a little deeper into then some of the things that you talk about. Um, So 
you in there's a chapter about variability and so you highlight and i think this is such an important it's kind of almost a beginner concept but i really wanted to talk about it because i feel like it's so important that the ups and downs of life are really normal and you you spoke earlier about how you thought it should be a straight uphill line to some sort of you didn't use these words but you know level of bliss where you're just happy yeah. all the mm-hmm. time so let's mm-hmm. talk about um that and and why it's important to understand that variability is the norm for everybody yeah 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 well again on that very first weekend, that was a, that was a phenomenal insight for me. You know, I don't know who said it, but somebody gave this idea that people do they do some form of this. And if you think about it, everything in nature does some form of this. And um, and and I thought, yeah, God, me too. And I thought, well, actually. I'm okay with that. And if it never changes, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I can live with that for the rest of my life. You know, and the I the, the that I think that was also what took the striving, you know, off the of, you know, off my plate. It's you know, we're there, we're there. <laughs> and that yep. long way it continue. Now the irony is in the accepting of that, I would say that the last 12 years have been barn on the happiest of my life. And and there have been many happy and meaningful moments, you know, prior to that, but there's been a consistent happiness which looks like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> up and down, up and down. Um so that was huge. But it's it's all you know, it's it's so interesting because I do see that all the time with clients you know that there's um that many people have unwittingly and innocently bought into an idea that any unhappiness any discord is pathological and it's not and sometimes i say you know i'll suggest look if if you want to be happy, you've got to be willing to be unhappy too, you know, you know, and it's not, not to suggest that you're stuck with, you know, dreadful kind of depression or ennui or, you know, distress, whatever. It's not that, but the more you're fighting every down moment or, or, you know, every moment of low energy, it, 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 that is, is the one thing you can do that will almost make it more intense. And if you can allow it to be without it meaning anything, because all what it simply is, as we know, is that in a low mood, the things that's happening, and it's happening automatically, we don't intend this, but all that's happening is we're taking our low thinking, our distressing thinking seriously. It's not telling us what the future is, because that's a fantasy. It's not telling us how much worse we are than everybody else, because that's a false comparison. And it's not telling us that the past is going to, you know, come and repeat itself. It's just telling us one thing. And the, the pain is actually an invitation to wake up to the fact that we're believing negative thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's human to do that. And everybody does it at times. So there doesn't need to be any judgment on it, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 so interesting that, you know, that that's the... the, the um, this, one of the, the a very very common thing that people just want that someone want no pain. I think well you know that's just that. Afraid. I don't think that's on offer. I don't know anyone who's living that life, but a degree of detachment from it is possible, and certainly less of it once you know what's going on. We tend to create less of it if we know what's what's actually going on. Yeah, I would I would agree with what you said about how these have been, you know, some of the happiest years of your life. And definitely for me, too, once I saw this 
the truth of, of this idea of variability and that fighting um, our different moods, especially the low ones, was what, what was causing more distress rather than less. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, once I saw that, um, it, the my lows are much less low, I guess, is the way that I would put it. And yeah, there's just a much more general sense of contentment overall, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. I guess that yeah. comes with mm-hmm. acceptance or something. I don't know. Yeah. 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 yeah but it's such, it's but such we're a simple not, concept. We're not, I, sorry. sorry it's just going to say it's such a simple idea, but it was so revelatory to me. And it's, um, it just brings so much about so much change. Yeah. Yeah. And what I was going to say is that we're not outliers who coincidentally are no. experiencing it. It is a, a common experience of just a, an overall elevation of contentment and peace of mind and fulfillment. Once you have a sense of what's actually behind um, emotional distress and um, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um the other thing I wanted to talk about was this idea that you address in the book about subtractive psychology. So can you talk to us a little bit about that, what it means and why it's um, uh, sort of a key to understanding these principles? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not unrelated. And, you know, I was thinking, cause I saw you, the, the, this was one of the questions that you had posed earlier and it, it occurred to me that suppose you saw, <laughs> suppose you saw sleep as a problem. Suppose you didn't, you know, for what, somehow you, you know, you, and, and you were going around, God, I mean, I, sometimes I just get so tired. That I actually go unconscious for up to eight hours. What on earth am I going to do about it? And you were trying to address the problem <laughs> of sleep, which isn't a problem at all. It's a solution. But, but, you know, you'd be doing all sorts of things to to address a non-problem. Now, um, being in a low state of mind is 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 not is not as predictable as sleep. It's not as regular. It's not as, it's not as even maybe as necessary, if you like. But it is inevitable. But as we see that it's that this is this up and down thing is not pathological, but it's the, the human condition. Um, well, we cease to have to do anything about it, you know. That's so which is why, for me, the the need to, you know, retrain in something else or work harder at my secret side gig or do more meditation or journaling or blah blah blah, um, that all just flew off because there was no that, that there was no longer a problem. So, so there's that thing. Or another way, I think of looking. At, I've recently just um, co-hosted a, a series on living without problems. And um, it was interesting enough because as soon as um, I posted it, some things came up in my own life, which were a real <laughs> invitation to walk my talk. One was to do with my my now adult son, who was going through a really hard time. So, you know, the thing closest to my heart, my kids, you know, mm. and the other was we couldn't even, the, at first, the, 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 we, we didn't get very many signups for the course. I mean, we did eventually, but, you know, so real, like, you know, um, what are you talking about? Anyway, yes. but somebody went with the class that the the, um, the the course did run and um, somebody asked a great question early on and said so are we just when we say living without problems are we just kind of rebranding problems as challenges or are we 
<laughs> or something like that. It's a great question. And but the answer is no. Um it's not that. Now there are in my in my way of seeing life, there are things that happen and there's sometimes things that happen that need action. You know, some let's say you have a symptom um, um and that you you that you may need to go and have that checked out and that checking out may need to to some treatment and it may even lead to some quite unpleasant treatment who knows those things can happen but most of our distress um in anything and it could it could be something completely different it could be a financial issue or a relationship it could be anything but most of our distress isn't coming from the thing and it's coming from an absolute mind storm of stuff around the thing, what it means, how it's going to play out, where, what you know, other other concerts, why why haven't other people got this or but you know, blah blah blah. There's just this endless and lots of it is not even fully visible or in the level of awareness, but it's just churning and it's just going and going and going. And as we come back to the fact that everything in life is neutral. Absolutely, including things that require action, but they are essentially neutral. But for our thinking, the thinking is dissolved or or subtracted. The feel, the distressing feelings are dissolved or subtracted, and we're left with just the action that needs to be taken. So we're no longer we, we don't need to medicate our anxiety or our depression or our fear or you know you know blah blah blah. You know that we're no longer trying to and we're not even trying to change the circumstances so much because the circumstances are mainly not the, the generator of the distress. It's the peripheral it's almost always the peripheral stuff around that we're thinking about around the circumstance. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot less to be done, um, and we tend to come back to clarity and peace of mind more quickly. That has certainly been my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been my experience as well. And um, yeah, just that that sort of feeling of equilibrium returns so much more quickly when we're not caught up in all the storms that are going on around whatever the situation yeah. is. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And th- this is not some kind of, you know, goody <laughs> positive thinking. You know, I, I mean, I had one, I had an example of myself, you know, at this, I mentioned my son was going through quite a hard time and there was one day when I got really caught up in it and what it would mean and where it was leading and, and you know, potential outcomes and hazards. And I was in, I was in a really upset state. I was very tense, anxious, close to tears. And I spoke to one of our colleagues and, you know, that didn't particularly help, but I sort of knew, although I was still experiencing that distress, another part of me knew that I could come back to equilibrium, which I did later that day and peace returned despite not a thing having changed on the outside. Uh, you know, some, the, the stuff was still going on with my son. Although, interestingly, after peace had returned, he got in touch and he shifted too, which sometimes happens. Mm. You know, and I, I don't know. I mean, that's not, that's, you know, that's beyond my pay grade. Of, you know, but sometimes it's as though sometimes the universe responds. We find the, the inner peace. It's almost as though something's communicated to others. But mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. 
maybe yeah yeah who knows um yeah that's it's so when we come back to this term subtractive psychology you point out in the book that what sort of the old paradigm of psychology had us do was with this sense of brokenness that we had um innocently they you know it was and i was the same for years and years trying to add things to myself, do more, um, change myself more in order to reach, you know, the happiness that I felt I was searching for. And so in this understanding, what you're explaining is that really there's no need for any of that. And that this, the, the basic, um, foundational understanding that we are whole, we are unbroken, um, is what just allows us to come back to that sense of equilibrium without any effort. Like you said, you know, you, you tried some things, you spoke to a colleague, but eventually it just happens on its own. Yeah. 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 Whereas I might, had I not known what we know around this, you know, had I not had this information that's available you know, to anyone I might have been saying well you know you're very anxious about this thing so you know you might want to consider meditation or you might want to step up your meditation or what but what, what is, is it interfering with your sleep you know and, and suddenly all these things would would be reified they'd have a, a solidity they'd have a, and um and when you know what what I did know even in the midst of it was that you know none of that was relevant that I was caught up in my thinking and it was painful Yes, but that was yeah. but it would pass but it would pass yeah yeah exactly and this is a perfect kind of circling back to the theme of addiction so the other thing we do with ourselves when we have these upsets and problems is we medicate ourselves with yeah. whatever it is food alcohol whatever and as we come to realize that um that's not necessary because we are we will return to a state of equilibrium always uh, then the need for that kind of outside medication becomes uh, less and less yeah 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 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah or or there is a you know there's a there is a moment of clarity rather than you know because it's not yeah. it, it, you know it's of, of where it's just gone where that doesn't no longer make sense to um to go there and I think it you know I think people can be habituated or addicted to you know all sorts of different things and some some such for example food you know you have to acquire a you know a, a healthy relationship you can't give it up but absence isn't a, an option and mm-hmm. other things you know absence is that you know this is the, the clearest simplest way for most people to yeah. deal with it and usually there there is a moment of clarity there is a moment of insight that sh- that takes away the need for that thing that it no longer looks like a good idea to the user mm-hmm Yes, exactly. And if there's not one big one, my experience has been there can be a little series of smaller ones. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just gradually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Every, uh, we all, this unravels differently for each of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So you, we mentioned you published the book just before uh, lockdown. So like February, March, well, exactly almost as we're recording this three years ago. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if this is an unfair question, but have you had any since then have you had any fresh insights about addiction 
Um, yes, yes, I have. Um, one, one actually was um, kind of in response to to lockdown because at that point I wasn't a particularly frequent attender in at twelve step meetings. But you know, I, I I think there's a thing in in the three principles that sort of there's a big big focus on you don't need anything or anyone or any technique outside yourself all the answers are within and on one level that's true on that but I think what became clear to me over lockdown was I so valued going to AA meetings I was not really bought into the whole lockdown thing I thought it was an overreaction and um and um, I didn't like the compulsory nature of it at all. So I really valued that. But more than, but for more than just, um, you know, human connection, also for, you know, I, I saw that there's there's a, a power in that. There's a spiritual um, connection that can happen between people as well. And, and I think that there's a, a biblical expression of where two or more are met in my name, I am also present. And you don't need to believe in any particular um, you don't need to be a Christian to believe, but, but I think there is something that happens when people come together. Now, one can have insights, and I often do on my own, you know, and, and in any situation. But I think there's something that, that can happen in that place where people are coming together for the purpose of healing. And there's some very wonderful aspects of the 12-step program, which is it very much is everybody's welcome. You're welcome where you're at. You don't have to subscribe to or um, you, you know believe in any anything. So you know that that's an unusual <laughs> sort of thing in this world. But but I've come to really value that. I think something can happen with another or a group of others that doesn't always happen alone. Um, mm. And and there's an importance to that. It's not that you need to do any. There's no particular formula about that. You, one can trust one's own instincts and one guidance. So you know, to, if and when that's appropriate. But I've really seen that as a, a crucial thing. And I've, and I and I think there's almost it's almost a sort of anti dogma, a dogmatic anti dogma in that in some three principles communities about we don't need that or something. You know, I think that, you know. So I'm I'm not on. Of that, I think um, that community is, is important. It can be very helpful. Mm. And I also think there's something about if you've been touched by this, some people can rush to share it with others. Maybe that's <laughs> true of me. But I think the, the important thing is that you you get it, one gets it from oneself first, that you have a, a sense of being changed and transformed. But then I think. Um, it's that you. Uh, this is a recovery phrase, but I think there's truth in it. You have to give it away to keep it. Mm. Um, and, and I, you know, I've come to. I think that's. I think that's true. I think you know because everything else in the world is pointing in a different way, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and so it's hard to main, be an island and kind of maintain what we you know because you're constantly having something different reinforced. Um, so I think that um, it's it's a good thing if, if you're a teacher or a coach in this work to be to find yourself in both a place where you are a student as well as being that teacher, you know. And, mm-hmm. and to, but it, um, and I also and I've come to see also that the and again this is from you know more twelve step thing that if I, for me it's important to have um, 
and actually, you know, being of service above making money. I mean, I, I, I'm a professional coach. I, you know, I charge for my sessions and courses. My prices are not particularly high, but I, but if I'm always, I always ensure that if people haven't got the money. There's, there are ways, you know, I have a sliding scale and, you know, various other things and various, lots of free resources. So, I think it's and and the the interesting thing is I've I've kind of been taken care of and it doesn't always come through you know my fee income you know I've been mm-hmm. taken care of since in quite sometimes quite surprising and unusual ways since this um, since I got into this work. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I love hearing all those. Yeah, hmm. yeah, sort of fresh ideas that you've had. Um, so given that you've just mentioned the work that you do, is there, why don't you tell us about where we can find out more about you and also, um, well, yeah, let's do that first. And then I'll ask you the, the second last question I had on my sure. list. Sure. <laughs> well, my website elements of wellbeing.net is, mm-hmm. you know, I have some, some blog articles there and, um, you know, my contact details and so on. Don't rely on the email at the moment that's being updated. Okay. <laughs> I think WordPress is going, doing something weird. <laughs> anyway. Um, and I also have, um, two Facebook groups with lots of, and, and a YouTube channel that are all kind of connected. One's called recovery from the inside out. And the other one is called three principles conversations. So I have lots of, um, free videos and of you know interviews with other people on those and and or stuff with Barbara and I and the recovery one and mm-hmm. um so yeah there, there's you can and you'll contact me through any of those or just Google me <laughs> <laughs> right um, yes yeah yeah and I personally highly recommend following you on the Facebook pages because then you send out notice about the classes that you teach. And I've taken a number of those and they've just been excellent. Just amazing. I've enjoyed them so much. Well, well, that's one of the, one of the absolutely wonderful gifts of this work was um, my current mentor, Mavis Karn. Um, um, I I was interviewing her for something and um, she asked me if I ever did webinars. I said, oh yes, definitely do. So she said, would you like to do some with me? So yeah, and <laughs> I, would I like to? So they have been wonderful. We've been doing that for about a year and a half now, I think. And we sort of, you know, do these short four webinar series and yeah. people can sign up for them and, you know, every, everything's, I, I think, quite reasonably priced and accessible. Absolutely. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. so yes, yes those are wonderful Mavis is a treat she's working she is in her 80s and she's yes. still going strong and she's fabulous yeah yes yeah she's she's incredible and I'm I thank you for introducing me to her I she's just such a delight yeah and it's those yeah. classes have been so great um so we're winding up now and I just wondered if there's anything else you'd like to share that we haven't touched on anything that feels important to say before we wind up um, well, I guess I just want to, to say to anyone who might be listening who is, is new to this, and if anything in this conversation or any of your other conversations is whetting your, appetite, whetting your appetite or making you curious or appealing to you, follow that, follow that instinct. Do yourself mm-hmm. a favor. Your life will change beyond you know, your, your wildest imagination. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely true. That's great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Christian. It's been so lovely connecting with you again. It's been a while since we've chatted. And uh, thank Thank you for being my first guest. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. It really, really, really is an honor. And I hope the series is a massive success. I'm sure it will be. And I'm looking forward to watching the rest of the 
um, the interviews as they come out. Thanks, Alexandra. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the show helpful and uplifting. You'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. If you'd like to connect, go to alexandraamore.com forward slash connect. I'll see you next time.